Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. Our interview segment today will feature the Vatican II document on the laity. We will also get a glimpse into the life and times of Saints Cyril and Methodius, along with reflections on the readings for this sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more on Wineskins. In our Life Issue segment, Father Jack Lavelle will talk about marriage and divorce. Every year in our diocese, more than a thousand couples prepare and then celebrate the sacrament of marriage. Many more participate in our annual celebration of marriage anniversaries. We pray that all of those couples may continue to grow in the light and the life of Christ, challenging them to be faithful to God and to each other. And yet, we are also very aware that sometimes, for whatever reason, certain marriages don't work out. They end in divorce. The label divorce does not define a person. It's an event that happened, terrible as it is, but it is no way the sum total of who a person is. You may feel like others see your divorce as some sort of failure in your life, but what you need to focus on is how God sees you. He sees you as His beloved, with all the gifts, talents, and potential that He has given you, especially the specific purpose in your life to have it fulfilled. It's the love of God that will carry you through these difficult times. An extremely important lesson is that forgiving those who have hurt you is essential if you want to heal from a divorce. There are no shortcuts, no half measures, when it comes to this. It can seem impossible to forgive someone for causing such devastation. However, you'll never move forward if you don't find a way to forgive. You will always be a victim. The key is to ask God for the grace to forgive because we cannot do it on our own. Last but definitely not least in this, the cross of divorce can change a person for the better. This cross is an immense opportunity to grow emotionally and spiritually and to become a stronger, wiser person in the end. As we continue to look at the aspects of divorce, we need to first understand that there is a difference between a divorce and an annulment. A divorce decree and a declaration of invalidity are apples and oranges, to be certain. A civil divorce decree means the government has terminated your marriage contract, which applies purely to a legal basis. The annulment process, however, does not terminate, dissolve, or invalidate anything contrary to what other people may believe. It determines whether or not a valid marriage was brought into being on the day of the wedding, in terms of the sacramentality of that marriage. It is determined there was not a valid marriage. If in this case, the tribunal issues a decree of invalidity, stating such. Let's look at what some of the common misunderstandings that Catholics have about divorce and annulment are. One misunderstanding I'd like to address right up front is the myth that receiving a decree of invalidity means your marriage never existed and your children are considered somehow illegitimate. If you want to get someone angry, tell him or her exactly that. But I assure you, nothing could be further from the truth. 
Receiving a decree of invalidity does not mean your marriage relationship never existed. Receiving this decree does not mean your marriage was somehow never in existence. The church recognizes that you lived in society under the assumption that your marriage was valid. The technical term for this in canon law is putative, from the Latin for supposed. You had a relationship that was witnessed by society, and nothing can make that untrue. The decree of invalidity declares that the bond, the sacramental nature, was not valid, meaning that, although you lived together as husband and wife, your marriage was not an unbreakable covenant between you, your spouse, and God. The list of misunderstandings goes on, such as an annulment is just a get-out-of-jail-free card, or it's just a moneymaker for the church. Many people believe the process places undue burdens on witnesses and that it takes years and years to go through. The important thing for anyone to remember is the annulment process is a tool. It is a valid tool whose purpose is to determine the truth and set healing in motion. It is important to note that in the Diocese of Youngstown, there has not been a fee for any annulments for several years now, and that it has always been the effort of the Church to try to bring as many people to that healing as possible. With all the bickering, confusion, and misconceptions about Catholics, people tend to miss a critical aspect of this particular process, which again is the healing. A person who approaches the annulment process with sincerity and humility will find great healing. No doubt, the questionnaire is very difficult to get through because you must revisit some painful memories and sift through them with a fine-tooth comb. But there is a cleansing aspect to this, one that helps you to face the truth, make peace with the past, and move forward. The peace and healing one can receive is amazing. An annulment is, again, a tool, a purpose to determine the truth and the setting forth of healing. Because many Catholic spouses are now separated, there's a huge demand for information about annulments, as well as opportunities to minister to divorced Catholics. Perhaps there's a divorce support group in your parish. Pope Francis has recently amended canon law to add a new collaborative form of annulment, simplifying the process when both spouses are cooperating to achieve one, and saving them both the time and, as I've already mentioned, any financial resources. More information is key in the situation like this. We can't let people assume that fast-track implies that just anyone can get in line and have a decree of invalidity in less than a month. There are some cases that do take time. That error is precisely what many of the major news networks were reporting the day Pope Francis rolled out the changes. It is dishonest and damaging. Some will take time. However, there are certain cases where this new collaborative form applies, and in those cases, it can reduce the pain and suffering involved, improve a child of divorce's life, and otherwise help the situation, which all is for good healing. As a divorced person, it is also important to know that you are welcomed and encouraged to attend Mass and receive the sacraments as often as possible. Precluding one is not remarried without the benefit of an annulment. May God continue to bless us with rich and fruitful marriages and also offer blessing and healing for those seeking to make their relationships right with the Church. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. St. Cyril and Methodius were brothers. To tell us more is Marianne Yeager. She is from St. Christine Church in Youngstown. These two saints were proclaimed co-patrons of Europe, together with St. Benedict, 
by St. Pope John Paul II on December 31, 1980. The feast itself is on the date of the death of Cyril, the blood brother of Methodius. They were born in Thessalonica, Greece, and became apostles to the Slav nations of Moravia, Bohemia, and Bulgaria. Their feast has been celebrated universally in the church since 1880. St. Cyril was ordained a priest at Constantinople and taught philosophy there. His older brother, Methodius, after being governor of a Slav province, became a monk. In 862, the prince of Moravia asked for missionaries who could speak the language of his country. The two brothers, Cyril and Methodius, were selected for the task. They differed greatly from the Latin Rite missionaries from Germany because they were able to adapt to the people they were evangelizing. For example, they created a Slav alphabet and they translated the Bible and the liturgy into the Slav language. Hence, the characters were called Cyrillic. Cyril died in the year 869 and is buried in the Basilica of St. Clement in Rome. After being ordained a bishop, Methodius returned to the East as papal legate to the Slav nations. During the last four years of his life, he dedicated himself to the translation of the Bible and other works into Slavonic. He died in the year 885, and the liturgy was conducted in Greek, Latin, and Slavonic rites. The first part of the opening prayer of the Mass recalls the great merit of the two brothers as missionaries who brought the light of the gospel to the Slavic nations. Those countries rightly consider Cyril and Methodius as their fathers in the Christian faith. By introducing new languages into the liturgy of the church, they revived the prodigy of the early church. The two missionaries not only made the church resplendent by their work of evangelization, but they are models for the adaptation of the faith to various cultures. Cyril and Methodius understood the points of reference to the culture of the people, and they knew how to promote unity without imposing rigid uniformity. Because they laid the foundations for a truly Christian popular culture, Cyril and Methodius can also serve as reliable guides in the ecumenical movement. The prayer after communion invokes the Father of all nations, who, through the one bread and the one spirit, has made us companions and heirs in the eternal banquet. We then ask that he will grant that all his children, united in the same faith, will be in full agreement in promoting justice and peace. All cultures of the Slavic nations owe their beginnings and development to St. Cyril and Methodius. Whether it was the creation of their alphabet or the translation of the liturgical books into the language of the people, ultimately, the work of these two co-patrons of Europe was an outstanding contribution to the common Christian foundation of Europe. For Wineskins, I'm Marianne Yeager.
Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document that we will discuss today is the decree on the apostolate of the laity. This is an important decree. An apostle was one who was sent by Christ into the world to proclaim the good news. And the laity are sent into the world to proclaim that same good news. And if you look at the Gospels, you see the women at the tomb. They're sent to proclaim the good news to the apostles themselves who didn't quite believe the good news. It was too good to be true. But this is at the heart of the mission of the laity today, to share the good news with their neighbors, their friends, and the world at large. Let's go back to the early church and the Acts of the Apostles and how Peter and Paul and the Apostles went and brought the good news to these various communities. And they left with the hope that these people that received the good news would then go and continue to share the good news with others. That's an ongoing thing. It started in that very first impulse of Pentecost in the Acts of the Apostles, where the Spirit of God is sent down upon 3,000 people from every part of the world. And it was obvious that they were there for the high holy days of Judaism, and they'd go back to their own cities, their own towns, their own neighborhoods, and say, you won't believe what happened to me in Jerusalem on this trip, and share the good news with their neighbors. And that's how Christianity exploded across the ancient world. Is that something um, that became uh, new in the minds of Catholics 50 years ago with this document? Or is that something that just was renewed and brought to the forefront again? Well, the average Catholic would think the priest and the bishops and the nuns and the brothers and the monks would do all the holy work and we'll just support them, go along with them. It was a general attitude. Of course, there were always great lay saints. There were always people who stepped up and corrected the priests and the bishops when they needed to be corrected. And so there was always that holiness of the laity involved. But the attitude of the laity as a whole, I would say, was quite different. And after this document, they said, you mean, we have some responsibilities. We could actually say how a parish is run, that we can be involved more and more deeply in the education of the children of the parish, that we have a responsibility to carry out the, the social activities of the parish on our own. And it started really with this document. And, you know, the document really uses words like the laity has certain obligations and certain duties. And that was really never part of the vocabulary of the everyday Catholic. You know, they went to church because they were obliged to go. But beyond that, that was it. But Catholics have a greater obligation and duty within the day-to-day -day life of the church, but also in the day-to-day -day life of being a citizen in this world. Right. We're citizens in the kingdom of God, citizens of the country we live in, and we're also key members in the church that proclaims the kingdom of God. And each lay person, if he truly takes his relationship with Christ personally, will profoundly be influenced with his desire to be deeply involved with the life of the church. And 
this is so important for the vitality of the people of God. You know, we, we talk nowadays about this new evangelization mm-hmm. and uh, how important that is in the life of every member of the church, and in particular as an obligation and a duty in the lay life of the church. How is this, in your experience, being exhibited in the life of the laity? Well, some laity who take their responsibilities very personally are deeply involved with building up the local parish, the local religious community, and also trying to join other lay groups, say like the Knights of Columbus and the St. Vincent de Paul Society. These types of groups, which are meant to live the charism of the gospel in an ever more personal and powerful way. And they are playing a very important role in the life of the church today. When this document came out 50 years ago, and the average lay Catholic would have read it, what do you think they would have thought? First of all, the average lay Catholic didn't read any of the documents. They would only get them from their priest in the pulpit or from the adult education classes if they went to. And this is the big hurdle we still have today. We have an uneducated church, unfortunately, because we have so much wisdom to be shared with one another. But once they start reflecting on this, they say, I have not only a responsibility, but I have the power to make my parish better. I have the power to assist my priest in becoming a better priest. I have the power to have an impact in the areas that mean the most to me, and that is critically important for the individual and for the community. And that, of course, means that that the priests themselves must be open to that whole sense that the laity are sharers in this work of the church. It's just not the pastor's role, but it's the people's role together with their pastor to bring about God's kingdom right in their community. And it's a discipline of language itself. Priests shouldn't say, this is my parish. He says, this is the parish that I'm serving. This is our parish. And to give the ownership, the spiritual ownership, to the people of God as a whole so that they then will take initiatives to making that to be the best of parishes. You know, when we talk about that, ultimately what comes to my mind is the ascension. Mm. You know, oftentimes we say, well, why did Jesus leave us? Well, Jesus left in order to encourage us to take ownership and responsibility of the work of the kingdom. And that's just not the hierarchy's role. That's the role of everyone as members of the church. And we do that through the power of the Spirit. We're able to do that through the gift of the Spirit. And how important it is to be, as a laity, to be formed in this whole sense of being sharers in the responsibilities of the kingdom of God. The laity have got to hear this call, take it responsibly, and in doing that, they'll find that their own family life, their own personal life, their own business life in this world will be stabilized, enriched. They will get something out of it by giving everything to it. And this is so important for their destiny and for the salvation of our whole community. How important is it for 
the lay people to carry on the mission of the church, especially with the decline in vocations? Well, this goes hand in hand. The Holy Spirit works this way, I think. Maybe there's a decline in vocations so that the priest would finally say, we can't do it alone. We've got to do it with you. And in doing that, there'll be a rebound on vocations as the priests become humbler and more willing to share all with the laity. And this, I think, is reflected in our current pontiff, Pope Francis, and his attitude towards being really the servant of the servants of God rather than the rulers of the servants of God. Father Jeff, just one final comment on this particular document. Well, I would just urge our lay listeners to take it to heart, to step up in your parishes, your local communities, and do all you can for the love of God and love of neighbor. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. Visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The annual Diocesan Appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our Diocesan Church. This year's goal is $4 million dollars. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission building up the life of the church, and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. Our song today is from the CD entitled, Fill the Heavens. It is by the Daughters of St. Paul.
Our scripture reflections for the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time will be done by Father Ryan Furlong. He is pastor of St. Thomas the Apostle Church in Vienna. Why do people look at the law of God in a negative light? Jesus' attitude toward the law can be summed up in the great prayer of Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. For the people of Israel, the law could refer to the Ten Commandments or to the five books of Moses. These were ordinances for God's people. The law also referred to the whole teaching or way of life which God gave to his people. The Jews in Jesus' time also used it as a description of the oral or scribble law. Needless to say, the scribes added many more things to the law than God intended. That is why Jesus often condemned the old law because it placed burdens on people which God had not intended. Jesus made it very clear that the essence of God's law, his commandments and way of life must be fulfilled. God's law is true and righteous because it flows from his love, goodness, and holiness. It is a law of grace, love, and freedom for us. That is why God commands us to love him above all else and to follow in the way of his Son, the Lord Jesus, who taught us how to love by laying down our lives for one another. If we live this, then God's law is not a burden, but allows us to be truly free, to be free to do what God has created us to do, to love him and to love others as ourselves. For Wineskins, I'm Father Ryan Furlong. We call ourselves law-abiding citizens. What does that mean? To answer that, we need to examine our lives in the light of the Lord's truth and measure our lives by His standards and challenge ourselves to live by the spirit of His truth. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Sunday, and may God be with you. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.